we have Maria Elena Malen Munoz Vasquez. That sounds so fancy. <laughs> But she's a facilitator for HR and trust exercises for corporate America and corporate Central America and Caribbean America. So we're pleased to have her with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here with you and to, I don't know, maybe give some insights on trust and negotiators play. Those two are my passions. Well, that is definitely what we need in the environment right now. So let's get right into it, Madeline. Looking at your information you have on your site and all of your social media, before you were a freelancer, you worked for different companies in their HR department. So what made you decide to switch over and start working for yourself? I worked for 16 years as the head of an HR for various companies. I'm a mother and my son was five years old when my husband and I decided that I needed to give more time to my child than work. I was working maybe 18 hours a day because I was uh, responsible for many countries. I decided to go freelance and work in one of my passions, that is training. And I thought that was going to give me more time with my kid, with Jonas. Now he's 13. It did, kind of, but it was really amazing. My first clients were my ex-bosses, so I had a lot of work. And I used to travel a lot in Central America and República Dominicana. Then came COVID <laughs> and all of that changed. One of my passions has been always trust. I mean, that has been an interest for me because I had my own challenges. That is from self-confidence. You cannot trust if you don't trust yourself and that have that self-confidence. I have learned through all my years in HR that people don't really leave companies. They leave their manager or They leave the people around them because they don't trust or they don't connect or they feel like they're just one more from the right people. So that got me started and I have developed this training plan for leaders. In Spanish, it's called Liderazgo Basado en la Confianza and I think it translates leadership based on trust. Before COVID, I had traveled a lot with those kinds of training to strengthen trust in teams, but also with Lego Serious Play. It's a tool that I use to, to help people start building those communication bridges and to help people regain or gain trust in their teams. So that's what I do right now. And the online thing, oh my God. <laughs> When COVID started, I got freeze. I was, what am I going to do? I have never worked online. I called some friends that were digital marketing experts. People that I knew that could help me have those relations and connections are better than knowing things sometimes. You can check it out on my website, but I have successfully transferred what I did with Teams to an online format. But my... English, oh my God, since now we're global, sometimes, if I'm lucky, someone that only speaks English just checks me out and asks me, can you do this? Can you do that? And I, oh my God, okay, but do you mind? My English is not, is not too good looking. 
And definitely I could do better on that. But yeah, I can't defend myself. I'm brave. I'm like, okay, let's do this. I'm always open to new challenges. So I do all of those things. It's way different than before because I have to be on point with my English, written, spoken, and knowing how to give the message correctly and professionally. So I think I'm going to be your client. <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to talk about that later, but that's it. Um... I know, but I, I was thinking, <laughs> I know, but I was thinking about that. Okay, well, thank you for the free commercial. That was nice. <laughs> It is very interesting that you mentioned that because there are so many companies that I'm dealing with right now, whether it's in Latin America, El Caribe, US, Canada, even some countries here in DOC, the German speaking part of the world, in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, that they never thought about it before, but now their website even is in their language and English. But then yeah. you get the clients who speak English and you're like, Oh no, what do we do now? <laughs> yeah. Who's going to take this call? Save me, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you can do it. You've passed the, the first part of being confident. So we want to ask you more about how you're helping these large installations in Central America. A lot of people, when they consider Latin America, they just think, okay, Mexico. And South America, but Central America is important too. Could you explain some of the different dynamics, maybe the differences in culture? Central America is like the bridge between South America and North America. We are five countries with uh, very different cultures. We all speak Spanish. Well, in Guatemala, Spanish as a main language, but in Guatemala, we have 25 dialects. We have many Mayan people. I am learning one of them. It's called Kekchi. Do you want to hear some words in Kekchi? Yeah, why not? That sounds cool. I'm going to give you a welcome. That means, hola, eh, that means, hello, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> My name is Marielena. <laughs> makes you want to dance. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, that's a challenge. That's a challenge because we have those 25 or more dialects that we have and Spanish as a main language, that it's like a little barriers that we have to break in order to trust one another. Because one language, it's also another way of thinking, a different way of thinking. So, I mean, I, I see and I totally see the importance of being a citizen of the world, knowing uh, English and other languages. So you can build that trust between you and other cultures. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of building trust, you mentioned that most of your work before was in person. And it's really easy to build trust there with eye contact, shaking hands, maybe hug, a little kiss on the cheek. But when you're on Zoom, you can't do any of that. So how do you build rapport with people? You can do many things, but first of all, I work in my own self-confidence. I mean, accepting who I am with my faults, be open, be vulnerable. I mean, I never present myself as the expert. I hate when people call me expert because that gives an expectation. 
and that's okay, but I don't like it. I am a teacher, but also I'm an apprentice all the time. So being vulnerable and in front of the camera, being myself, not trying to portray someone else, that really helps you a lot. Also the lighting, you see? <laughs> if that's, um, but I mean, those tips you can find on YouTube. <laughs> uh, okay, the lighting and those technical aspects of a conversation on Zoom. But those things are secondary to being your truth self, being open to be vulnerable. If you drop something or there's a baby, you know, those are lovely because that humanizes the communication. I have many friends that are still in HR and the challenge is how do we humanize these communications? Because most of them are online. We all are in our homes, working from our homes. So that's a challenge. And I always tell them, be yourself, be human. Don't try to control everything because people respond to that humanness. So be yourself, be human, be really interested in the person behind that camera. Because if you're not, people see that, people feel that. But if my intention is to give something, to share, that really translates too. Other thing, don't expect everyone to like you. Some people are going to like you, some are not going to like you, and that's okay. I will be suspicious if everyone <laughs> around me says, you're the coolest person in the world. Oh, no, I'm not doing something <laughs> right because I'm comfortable in someone not liking the way I do things. That's okay. So be comfortable with that. That is a thing that I have only seen in Latin people. Central American people, those are my people. I've seen that we try to complacer, to please. We try to please, to be nice, to be liked. We seek for validation sometimes. I see that a lot in different cultures, like even in my husband's culture, he's from Africa. A lot of African cultures, Asian cultures are like that where um, so, yeah, if, if someone is in a higher position than you or you need them to like you, then you agree with everything they say sometimes, even if they're super wrong. You just be like, yes, that is a great idea. And I'm like, mm. you hear the same thing that I heard. <laughs> no. And that works again against trust. Mm -hmm. But since just I just told you that to build trust, you have to work in your self-confidence first. So you're okay and you're able to trust someone else and you're okay if someone like he, likes you or not, but you come first. Yeah, that's true. We have two expressions in um, black people English where we say, haters gonna hate and don't hate, appreciate. <laughs> haters gonna hate always, yeah. I have heard those, I have heard that. Keep it real. But I know a lot of people are here for the legal serious play and they're like, grown what is ups? <laughs> yeah, grown ups playing with legos. How does that work? Well, six years ago, I met Robert Rasmussen. He's one of the fathers of the legal serious play method. It's a method to communicate, but also to resolve conflict and also to construct agreement. It gives a, a person a voice 
in a safe manner, in a fun manner, to express their ideas or insights about the company. I'm gonna give you an example. This big company that has maybe thousand employees hired me because they were changing a few processes on the way they do things, the way they work. So people had a resistance to change and they wanted me to help ease the change and to take care of the trust, the, the climate in the company. So I went there to socialize these new processes. The people who hired me got their money worth and more because they got insights from the people working in the company about the challenges that their customers have. Just to give you an example, one exercise, I asked them, okay, so build the worst nightmare day here in your company. <laughs> How does that look? A nightmare here, one terrible day in your company. How does it look? So people come and with Legos, they build this nightmare day. And when they talk about the nightmare day, they give so much insight on what's really happening in the trenches in the company. That insight and that wisdom that people working in the front end can give, I can uh, extract that from them with the Lego shoes. Because people are uh, constructing, having fun with music, but to construct something like that, they have to really look deep in their feelings and thoughts to give life to that idea. So that's really helpful. Most of companies hire outside experts to come and, and work with their problems top to bottom. But this way, with Lego Serious Play, you work with bottom up. People in that process feel that their voice is heard. So that's Lego Serious Play. It's a method that helps people communicate. And it doesn't matter if you have the education or not, the experience or not. You express your insights, your ideas, and those are never wrong. Uh, this also helps me to make agreements. It's very easy to make agreements because people feel that their worldview is taken into consideration to build agreements. At first, when I have a team, they're afraid to tell the real things. They, oh they, <laughs> they, are, they are afraid to talk about the elephant in the room <laughs> but, <laughs> but with lego series play it, it just comes out because you don't think about it it's just constructing having fun you don't really think and rationalize consciously what you're constructing you're just constructing your idea so my job is to ask you without judgment what is this? What does this mean to you? What does this mean? When the people start and when the person starts talking about its con his or her construction, magic happens. Oh, this is uh, me going to the goal and these are the minions and don't let me work. <laughs> 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 to be a facilitator of Lego Seuss Bay, it's a very, it's a very delicate thing. Because me, since I've worked in human resources for 16 years, 
I, I think I know about people. When I started Lego Serious Play, I was tempted to, to evaluate or give a diagnostic, but that's not Lego Serious Play. Lego Serious Play, it's about empowering the constructor. That's it. Mm -hmm. Only the constructor knows what he or she are constructing, what does each piece means, because every piece in a model means something. So first is the individual and their worldview. Then the second phase is working as a team, constructing together agreements and putting my worldview into the agreement. Mm -hmm. So uh, the company or the organization gains that insight gains that involvement, uh, that participation, and also more commitment. If I put my view on that, if I help build that agreement, I'm going to be more committed and I hope uh, more accountable. You mentioned it a little bit. What would you say if you were going to make a definition? What's the difference between a facilitator and a coach? Sometimes people use them both to mean the same thing, but it's, it's not the same thing, is it? No, both of those have their own challenges. Being a facilitator is let the, the process work. I'm there to facilitate the process, not mess with the process itself. So trust the process, facilitate the process, be aware of other people trying to mess it up. So that's a facilitator. Being a coach, it's another thing. If you play sports, being a coach is more like a, a company, being that mirror so people can, can tell you things and you can mirror them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's like a ping pong between you and the team. You don't tell the team what to do. That's a very hard thing for me. <laughs> but I don't, I promise you, I don't. You don't tell people what to do but you just ask those questions to make them think. Okay, so what would you do? So what do you think? I have had coaches for me. And please do just tell me, no, what would you do in this situation? Think that's the, a, a good coach, that's what it does. Helps you come up with the answer. Helps you investigate or try, try an error but be accountable for your own actions. If not, if I'm telling you what to do, I'm not a good coach because you're not going to be accountable. You're going to point to me to say, you told me that. So that, <laughs> <laughs> see, that's a coach and that's a facilitator. I hope that was clear enough. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. This is backtracking a little bit, but you mentioned that you're a freelancer and also a, a wife and a mom. So that's like two full-time jobs. <laughs> and then you have on top, well, you have three. <laughs> then you have on top of that, you're working with these different organizations. One of them I really wanted to ask you about was Alex Fundal, which is a, a foundation for children who are deaf and blind. So how yeah. does this organization help them and what do you do to assist them? They have created these methods and systems, they have better some existing ones and they have created their own to help integrate children deaf and blind to society. Mm. So they help them to be more independent and 
they train teachers in public schools in Guatemala to, to, to relate with these children, blind and deaf children. I train teachers. Their self-confidence, their communication skills. I train them to build trust with parents. Fundan right now has more than 300 children. We work in Guatemala and most of them are in the rural areas. Fundal doesn't, it's a ONG. They don't charge for other services they do. We work with donors, Guatemala and international donors. The work that they're doing online, <laughs> I mean, the parents, the mothers, most of the mothers are Thank God they're stepping up to the plate because doing the, the exercises that they have to do with their children, it's very difficult because they didn't have the knowledge. So now Fundal is training not only teachers, but also parents of those children for them to keep up with the training with their kids. It's nice to work with the ONG or NGOs in English. They always have a really good mission that they're working on. That really keeps my feet on the ground and inspires me. Sometimes I get too much in my head. <laughs> All the things that are happening with COVID problems, sometimes we have challenges. So that work for me, Fundal, gives, gives me a lot. It centers me always. Because whenever I work with the teachers, I come like fully charged to do whatever mm. it takes. It helps you feel better when you're helping somebody else. I like doing that too. <laughs> now I'm going to ask you if you can help us get rid of a stereotype because I don't know why this is the 21st century, but even now when we see Central America on TV, it's usually like some archaeologists going into a jungle <laughs> and looking for something. They don't, they don't show that there are cities in these countries. So what's really going on in Central America? What's the demographic? I'm going to talk to you about Guatemala, that it's my country. But Central America, I mean, most of Americans know Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. Costa yeah. Rica. Yeah. But Guatemala is the biggest uh, country in Central America and the biggest city too. I'm, I'm going to talk about what I do in my life. So you can take a peek on Guatemala. I work for while I work in Panama, Guatemala, and Republica Dominicana. We have everything. We're like a mini United States here. More complex because all these 25 different dialects and Mayan people, but we are a very thriving economy. Right now with the COVID and before COVID, we have many entrepreneurs. We have the highest entrepreneurship in uh, Latin America, Guatemala. Wow. Yeah, you can check that out in the World Economic Forum. We create technology. We are very environmentally conscious. We have uh, forests, we have beaches, we have ruins. In a very small land, we have every ecosystem. You can find everything in a very small place. To sell Guatemala, well, you don't sell Guatemala with them telecommunications and big buildings. <laughs> you sell Guatemala. We have many people working outside from Guatemala, many professionals. But we also have many professionals here developing technology. I mean, I'm here connected to the internet. <laughs> I'm not in a tree. <laughs> I 
like to be informed, and I've seen news in the States, here in Guatemala, our children in the rural areas, some of them live in mountains very far away, very, very difficult to get there. They are still in school, online. It was a challenge to the teachers to learn the new tools, to learn a new way of doing things, but they are doing it. They are still in school, receiving classes online. So that can tell you something about Guatemala. Everybody had a hard time getting used to having Zoom for everything. What has been the impact of that? There are some people that still have to go to the production plant. Mm -hmm. Most of the people are working from home. At, at first, I've seen that, and I, I was one of them myself. We needed to work like 24-7 to say, I'm really working. <laughs> I'm not sleeping in my bed. So people were very anxious to be connected all the time. So their bosses, their managers knew that they were really working. Now we are more accustomed to that and we are administrating better our time. Companies have realized that their results don't come with uh, bottom hours in their chairs. <laughs> <laughs> they come from quality. One thing that I like about the pandemic is that now companies realize that they have to have balance between personal life and working life. And if they don't have that, so it's going to be uh, burnout people in their company. So we are adjusting still. We still have a, a way to go on, uh, for instance, banks. I, I wish, and I think we're close to, to be that no one needs to go to the bank. Yeah. But that, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, we're not there yet, but we're close. Yeah. Even here in Germany, you have all of this technology, but it's like a, a custom that people go to the office and ask for things. I'm like, this is weird, all this technology, and you're still like, I got a call, I got to go to the office. We can do it with technology, people. It might be a generation thing, too, I don't know. <laughs> it might be, it might be, yeah. Well, I'm 45, and to me, this is very challenging. But I like the challenge, and I like to be unknown. I don't know, I'm a freak, maybe. <laughs> but I like to be challenged. But people from my generation, it has been a little difficult older people. My dad, he's 76 years old. And I called him, I, I want to see you. Okay. I told him step by step on his phone. How can we do a video call on WhatsApp? That's a very simple thing. But for him, it wasn't. Maybe it's a generational thing. But also, it always comes back to you and your self-confidence. That gives you the ability to trust the process, to trust what it's happening, to trust that you can do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I sound like a motivational speaker. <laughs> I, I well, those. <laughs> it is helpful. It's nice that he was willing to try it. Going yeah, back he, to the, the English too, with your English, did you study it in school or how did you get to this point where you are now? I lived in Las Cruces, New Mexico. That's ah. the near El Paso, Texas, and I went to University Hills. I was in fifth and sixth grade, a year and a half. Mm. So that was really my push to English. Then I worked in call center, but since I was a back office, I wasn't in a call center attending calls to English speakers. So mm. my English was for communicating with the staff. 
I use a fair English, but my start was there when I was 10 at the time, when I, I lived in the States, Las Cruces. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's common yeah. too. It, the English Proficiency Index from 2018 said they noticed that trend in Latin America too. A lot of the people who work in the call center or the managers, they speak better English than the back office just because they get more practice. Yeah. And that's logic. If you practice it more, then you're going to be more fluent. Yeah, that's true. Even from what you mentioned before, what are some other reasons that it's so important to improve English fluency right now? Well, there's many sides to this. To me, I have realized that if I learn another language, that helps me with my neurosystem. <laughs> yeah, those things uh, keep me sharp. That's one thing. Another thing is that you can broaden your, your connections with people. You can talk to more people. Today, more than ever, I realize that it's very important to invest in learning another language, English or the language that you need, because that will help you to be more efficient in your job. You're going to be more confident on what you do. It has many advantages to learn another language. Yeah, that's true. I really appreciate you being here with us, Madeleine. We mentioned your website, madelinemunoz.com. They definitely need your help in North America. There's a lot of bilingual teams, but they need somebody who can bridge that language gap. So I'm sure you'll be in high demand. Don't forget to join us next week as we talk to Miguel Hernandez, a Spaniard in Canada. So that'll be interesting too. But until next time, optimize through principles, not rules. <laughs>